Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5, and what we saw in chapter 4 was uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has another dream, and uh, it's a, a scary dream to him. This big tree, and it fills the earth, and then it gets cut down to nothing, stripped down into a stump. And uh, he goes to Daniel, of course. Daniel's God's man in Babylon, and Daniel interprets the dream for him, and it really has to do with the tree as emblematic of, of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar as the federal head of Babylon, who's so lifted up with pride, he doesn't look at the poor, he doesn't mete out justice, and God gives him a chance to repent. And when he doesn't, God deals with him, he humbles him, and he ends up eating grass like an animal for se seven times or seven years. And then Nebuchadnezzar honors and finally extols the Lord of heaven, the God that we serve, and uh, God restores him in his mercy, blessing that it is. And today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5, and the expression is, or the title is, the writing on the wall. Now, we use that in English vernacular, in American culture, the writing on the wall. But a lot of people don't know where it comes from. Did you know that that comes from Daniel chapter 5? Okay? So what we have is, why we, how do we get here? Well, at this point, King Nebuchadnezzar is passed on and he has some successive kings. And just like any godless you know, type of organization or empire, there's treachery, there's murder, there's backstabbing, literally. There's um, short-lived, incompetent reigns. And after Nebuchadnezzar, you have evil Merodach, and you can find this in your encyclopedia. After evil Merodach, you have Neroglissar. After Neroglissar, Hard names to say. Uh, Neroglissar, you have Labashi Marduk, and after Labashi Marduk, you have Nabonidus, and that's where we are this morning. However, God's word doesn't focus on Nabonidus, okay? He's the king at the time, but he has a son called Belshazzar, and that's where we jump into the scripture this morning. Now, you can't confuse Belshazzar with Belteshazzar. When Daniel goes into Babylon, he retains his Hebrew name, especially among his friends and even some um, leaders that find favor with him or he finds favor with them. But they change his name to the Babylonian name as Belteshazzar. Okay, we're going to talk about the Babylonian king, different person who is Belshazzar without the te. Okay, because it can be a little confusing. All right, that being said, he's this... He's a co-regent with Nabonidus, right? We don't hear much about Nabonidus, Nabonidus except in ancient history, but, um, but Belshazzar is this co-regent, and he's hanging out in the city of Babylon while his father's out in the field. Now, Belshazzar is a young, prideful, entitled monarch, and he doesn't heed the warning of pride as his ancient or ancestor uh, King Nebuchadnezzar did. Even with the warning of God and with the Medo-Persians at the gate, 539 BC, if you follow your history, he still doesn't repent according to the scripture or from what we read in the scripture. So I will make this application, the writing on the wall, 
but I will also make a broader application to really where we are in the culture and maybe us personally. So let's jump in, starting with verse 1. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father... Now when we see that word, it's translated actually ancestor. However, even the Jews today will say, our father is Abraham. It doesn't mean literally they were begotten from that person, but somewhere up the line, this patriarch uh, is related to them. Great-grandfather, grandfather, etc. So just keep that in mind, otherwise it gets confusing. It says, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, right, when he conquered it, uh, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. So you have this time that elapses between where we were in chapter 4 and now chapter 5. I gave you the succession of Babylonian monarchs who reigned after Nebuchadnezzar. And from history, and again, I, I'm reading history, and I'm like, I'm not putting all this in my, in my message, but there's a reason why Nabonidus is out in the field, and his son is really in an administrative role in the city of Babylon. I won't bore you with the details, but if we could put a put up the first image of the cuneiform uh, cylinders. How do we know this passage? Oh, the Bible's written by, you know, all these silly things that people say to attack the scripture. That's how we know. We found these, we, I didn't find them, but archaeologists find these, they're called um, cuneiform cylinders, and you can translate cuneiform. And it basically gives, the Romans did it, the Greeks did it, the Persians did it. Listen, pr uh, empires built by men are... They're laden with pride. So we have to tell the world, even after we pass, what we've done. Look at us. So you can read this, and you can find out about the different kings and the monarchs and the succession, and that's how we get our information. Then we read the Bible and say to the naysaying world, of course the Bible was always right, because the Bible was written before we found that thing out in the desert somewhere. You see what I'm saying? When you uncover different cities. So there's the apologetics portion of it. Now we continue. So King Belshazzar has this big feast, and uh, they're trying to relive the glory days of Babylon. As a matter of fact, in that very year, 539 BC, the Medo-Persians take over from Babylon, and it starts a, another empire. But these parties, would, what they would do is they would flaunt their gold and silver. They would have prostitution and orgies. There would be a sexual element to it. And some sources, I actually found out about one source, what did you do back in the day before you had, like, you know, movies and modern technology and fancy equipment that we have today? You tamed animals. So one report had actually ostriches, those big funny-looking birds, right, that they would tame the ostriches and put a leash on them, and they would, they would go back and forth in the banquet hall, and they would pull carts with fruits and nuts on them. So, yeah, so I actually I found that humorous when I read about that or I found out about that. So this is what's going on. There's a, a decadent party, there's debauchery, while judgment is at the gates. And you know, is there anything really different some 2,600 years later? No, there isn't. This is typical of the world. Partying while judgment is imminent. Partying while the world burns. And that's today. Come on, you can't read the paper, internet news, see what's going on. 
our leaders are, are clueless at this point. You know, there's, there's so many things happening in the world, in Europe, in the United States, in the Middle East, and man can't control it. This is a perfect scenario to acquiesce to the Antichrist, who's going to supposedly solve all the world's problems. But this is what people are doing. Yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to party, party on. I mean, that's the attitude that people have. Babylon relied on its 300-foot walls. They relied on their gates. They relied on their armies. Instead of relying on the living God. And so many today are doing the same thing. They might be relying on their youth, their looks, their abilities, their talents, their education, their status, even their religion. But it's a rubber crutch. It can't support. It can't sustain. Belshazzar used sacred utensils that were looted from the temple in Jerusalem. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, he, he went in there and he conquered Jerusalem. And he had these undulating besiegements. And eventually he takes all the stuff out of the temple before the Babylonians raise it to the ground. And, you know, they're, they're having a good old time and probably thinking in their mind as they're worshiping the gods of gold. And they are gods for everything. Polytheists today, it's, it's nothing different thousands of years later. But probably thinking in their mind, well, our god, Bel, that was one of their deities, was greater than God. It was greater than the god of the Hebrews. Well, God showed them something different that night. If we could put up Psalm 115, very interesting psalm. And, you know... We might laugh at ancient civilizations and what they worshipped, but honestly, I don't think there's anything different today. You just take away the different idols, and, you know, in American culture, people worship different things, right? But it says in Psalm 115.3, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He's sovereign. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. People make statues and idols all the time with a mouth. But he can't do anything because it's made of inanimate objects, right? They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Remember when uh, in, in, the, in the temple of the Philistines, when the ark was brought in, their fish god? You know, God knocked it over. And the Philistines had to come and go, oh no, our God is on the floor in pieces. We have to help him back up to his pedestal and put his arms back on. You know what I'm saying? And that's a paraphrase. That's what people do. They worship things that, that aren't there, that don't exist, that don't, can't do anything for them. Um, they have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they don't walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Futile, vain foolish. At least Nebuchadnezzar had the, the respect and the reverence as he started to understand who the God of the Hebrews was, who Yahweh is. He actually made decrees. Don't, don't insult that God. Even before he, what I believe, got saved, he still honored that God as a great God, our God, because he saw the great things that, that he could do. So he, just in case, he's better than Bel, okay? Don't mess around with, with the God of the Hebrews. And I make a decree that nobody can disrespect him. Again, in his pagan mind, this is what he did. However, Belshazzar is bringing these idols, or these, excuse me, objects and utensils, sacred utensils, into the party, putting his wine in it, drinking out of it, and praising their own foolish gods. And God's like, that's it, I've had enough of this. Verse 5. In the same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster wall of the king's palace. 
And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. You know, the, the writing on the wall. When I was a kid, my, my family, they weren't saved. I wasn't saved. My grandfather, he was, God rest his soul, he was very dr- dramatic and a little melancholy. And he would often say this. And I remember hearing this as a kid. Oh, the handwriting is on the wall. You know, some situation, you know. And uh, just was funny hearing it as a kid. And then when I got saved and I read this, I'm like, oh, that's what grandpa used to say all the time. So it was ominous. It was an omen. Uh, It was something to be concerned about. And it comes from this. But just imagine being in a banquet hall. You know, think about a wedding today. Everybody's having a good time and they're they're, um, celebrating something. And all of a sudden, a hand appears. And it starts writing this cryptic message on a wall that everybody could see. Talk about a wet blanket to a party, right? The music stops. The ostriches stop, I guess. I don't know. know. The activities stop. The king's terrified and his knees are knocking and he's calling for an interpretation. On a side note, I remember when when I went up to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's funny because I read this in my mind. I thought about my knees were knocking. It was a big church. It was a long way to get to the front. And I was actually holding on to the stage because my knees were knocking so much. I had a healthy fear and reverence for God. I was coming to God, and that was frightening to me. It was terrifying, but exciting at the same time. And if I probably didn't hold on to the stage, I might have been the only person in history in that church to fall over. But um, it's a good thing to revere God. It's a good thing to have a healthy respect for God. In our culture, we demean him. We make him like our, our buddy, and, and he's not. He's God, you know what I'm saying? He provides a, an awesome itinerary of blessings for us, but he's still God. We have to make sure that we remember that. So his, now the only problem with Belshazzar is he's terrified, he's frightened, but he doesn't do anything positive to change the situation, and we'll talk about that. But this is typical of worldly counselors. How many times, all the way down the line, starting with Nebuchadnezzar, have they called in the Chaldeans and the soothsayers and probably the necromancers and all those weird folks, uh, and they couldn't help? So the question is, where do you and I go for counsel? Do we go to unsaved worldly friends or do we go to strong Christians? Now, I think really it depends on what we want to hear. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves and we have a cadre of friends and associates, we know who we can go to to get the truth, right? We know who we can go to that they're not going to sugarcoat it. Um, And sometimes, let's be honest, we go to some that we're we're, we're down and something's wrong and we want to hear something that makes us feel better. And I hear this too sometimes from believers. It's okay to say it once in a while, but their whole thing is, well, when I hear a message, I want to be ministered to. And I got to tell you, uh, Pastor Damien Kyle spoke about different messages, messages that are soulish, that that appeal to the human side of us, and messages that are spiritual. 
And we have to be careful. When we come to listen to a message, we should just want the straight truth of what God is saying and how that can change our lives and affect us to, to be better instead of always looking and seeking something just to make us feel good. Right? Makes sense, doesn't it? So verse 8 and 9, the wise men, who really is wise if they're not taking the, into account the wisdom of the eternal God? And then I'll just leave you with a historical note, and then we'll move on to the next chapter or verses. Verse 7, if, if you don't catch this, he basically says in the last verse, or last part of that verse, he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now remember, it's called a co-regency. You have Nabonidus, you have his son, Belshazzar, and they're a co- they're co-regency. So it's like having two presidents. They're both running stuff. And because they didn't have the technology and the logistics that we do, somebody would be out in the field many times, and then somebody would be in the capital doing administrative affairs. So you have um, Nabonidus first. The Bible's focusing on number two in the co-regency, Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is saying, man, I'm so scared. You know, just paraphrasing here. If somebody could just tell me what the heck is going on with this handwriting on the wall, I'll, I'll bring him aboard. Not even checking with dad, you know what I'm saying? I'll make him a tri-region. Me, dad, and whoever tells me what I need to hear because I'm scared. So... Again, the Bible has so much detail. If you're going to lie about something, I've dealt with liars for many years, they don't give you details because details can, can pinch you. They can get you caught up in your own lies. Again, a lot of what I say is apologetics. Why is the Bible true? So many ways. Prophecy, history, archaeology, you know, inspired of the Holy Spirit most importantly. And it gives so many details that if you actually do the research with secular history, you'll find that it's been right all the time even before we found those cylinders. So verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall, and the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. In other words, Daniel, he had God to go to, but in the, in the pagan mind, he's just one of the really smart guys who has a, a, a direct line to one of the best gods. You know, you have to see this from, from everybody's perspective, right? This is, she's a pagan queen. She's explaining it the best that she can explain it. Inasmuch, verse 12, as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams resolving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. The queen is probably the queen mother, because we read about Belshazzar's wives, his concubines. You know, this is what prideful kings do. You know, I, I can't just have one woman. I need all these women. The queen most likely was mom, who was not at the party, heard the commotion, asks what's going on, and she gives him a little bit of her wisdom. Hey, basically, yeah, there's this guy Daniel, you know, this Jewish guy, and um, from the Judean captives. Actually, if you do the math, Daniel's in his early 80s right about now. So, but this is fascinating. According to Jeremiah 25, 9 through 12, incredible scripture with incredible detail, speaks about history before it happens. There's this, this, this nexus of, number one, 
the 70 years of Judah's captivity. For various reasons, God disciplined Judah and she was taken away to Babylon. But the captivity is up in 70 years, and under the, the next administration, the next kingdom, they're actually going to be sent back to you know, Jerusalem, which is where they really want to go, their home. Some of them stay in Babylon, a lot of them go back. They rebuild the walls, Jerusalem, the temple, etc. So the 70 years of Judah's captivity, their punishment is just about up. And two, Babylon's judgment in the same Jeremiah 25, you know, is coinciding in the year 539 B.C., incredible stuff and I could you know what when we get to Jeremiah it's gonna blow your doors off when we get to Isaiah the same thing so many scriptures so many prophecies stuff that's coming true today and will come true in our future they probably when they heard from God and they just were obedient writing it down they probably had no idea the ramifications of what they were writing it's God it's, it's God's holy inspired word but what I find amazing is that this queen Right? You go from Nebuchadnezzar all the way down to this queen. A lot of people know of Daniel. He's got a reputation. But they continue to worship their false gods. You know, you, you wonder about that even today. If you're really a good witness to somebody, maybe a coworker, family member, whatever, they come to you. Sort of like you're the Daniel in the family. You're the Daniel in the workplace. And... Uh, They'll, just like they, they say to you, they say to me, I've heard this pastor, just pray for me in this situation. I often say, I will. However, you can also have a relationship with God. You can also uh, be one of his children. This God of mine who I serve wants you also to be in his fold. And he also wants to afford you with the same benefits of a relationship that he's afforded me. Yes, I will pray. However, Think about you having your own relationship and not having to go through me and ask me. I mean, I never have said to anyone, you're right, I'm the man, you need to come to me. I never said that. Because when you have something so good like this, you want to share it with everybody. You just do. Um, it, just, it is what it is. Verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel? Not familiar with him who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas, now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel makes his acquaintance with the king, the new king. And, you know, again, it appears they put him in storage somewhere. And I say that kind of euphemistically, sort of. You know, Daniel. Hey, who is that guy? Who's that older guy back there? One of the Jewish guys. Yeah. What's he doing? Uh, I don't know. You ever talk to that guy? No, I don't talk to him. Who is that guy? However, the king, all of a sudden, he's in trouble. Not only does he want to talk to him, but he wants to shower him with rewards. And this is how the world works. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Heard that expression? I don't know where that comes from, but uh, <laughs> we certainly use it. I mean, me personally, if, if I ask somebody to help me out or do me a favor... And they say to me, and I've had this, 
yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll owe me one in the future. You know, and they don't tell me what it is, I usually don't ask for help. You know what I'm saying? I don't want that done to me. I certainly don't want to do it to you. Now, I have been known, if I've done a favor for somebody and maybe they're wandering and they don't know the Lord, I have been known that if I do them a favor, I ask them to come to church and hear the message. <laughs> it's not that I want their money, it's that I want, to hear them, I want them to be introduced to the God of the Bible. So in that respect, I get a pass. But uh, <laughs> Belshazzar's attitude towards Daniel, or the, towards Daniel is, come on, man, hook me up. I'm in trouble right now. So verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So Daniel basically says, keep your gifts in a nice way. Give them to somebody else. I don't need them. How many in the Christian culture would, would have loved to get those gifts? Remember Gehazi, the assistant to the great prophet, and Naaman the Syrian gets healed of leprosy, and he wants to give the prophet all these gifts, and he says, I don't need it. Naaman leaves, and Gehazi secretly follows him and says, I'll take some of those gifts. See, that's sad. And it can happen in the church today. And I'm going to tell you, it happens on all sides. How many people are turned off and don't want to step foot in the church because of modern clergy selling themselves for money? Or everything has a price tag. You want me to pray for you? You want me to do a baptism? You've got to pay up. That's pretty sad. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. Very short maxim, but so powerful. And so many don't heed it. Church today is not supposed to be a modern, making, uh, a modern money-making enterprise or a, a modern empire-building enterprise. You know, sometimes when we go as a church into the community to feed, to clothe, or to, to go to Jamesburg Day or whatever, and we just give stuff out for free, there's that awkward moment when someone will take out their wallet because they feel compelled. And I've always said, and I've trained my leaders to say, no, that's all right, man. That's, this is a gift from the Lord. We, we, you know, respectfully, it's okay. You can put your wallet back. Because they feel compelled because that's often what they're used to. We should never tie the things of the Lord to money. Daniel's just going to give it. He just was going to give that advice. He just was going to get the interpretation. He's like, I don't want anything for it. And like Daniel, we in this room and the church, we have a great treasure. And that's the life-changing gospel. Right? Daniel had a glimpse of the gospel. It wasn't fully elucidated to him back then. But we know now on this side of that first century period what the gospel is. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal, eternal life. Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, our actions will bear that out. If we really believe that, and we're talking to someone on the street, they'll be convinced. You know, maybe unbelievers don't have the spirit of God, they don't have the wisdom of God, but you know what? They can pick up someone who's genuine and someone who's not genuine. And, and we shouldn't kid ourselves that there's very astute, perceptive, discerning people that don't know the Lord that can tell if we really believe what we're saying or we really don't believe what, what we're saying. And that's important. Are you convincing? Because what we have is greater than any treasure that anyone could give us. I mean, today it's money, it's, I don't know, somebody give you a car. In those days, the king could give you anything. 
He could give you a city. He could give you gold. He could give you a way of life where you're pampered until the day you die. A cadre of servants to wait on you hand and foot. That's not, what we get today is a pittance compared to the way it was back in the day. Daniel could have been on top of the world, but he never took advantage of it. He just was duty-bound to give the message that God had for him to a pagan world. Verse 18. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. Now check this out. He doesn't just give the answer. He gives the qualifier. He gives the filler. He gives context. Because I think he really cares about this guy. You know? One who... And it says, and because of the majesty that, that he, God, gave him, Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Remember the watchers? This is what's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. Then he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was, was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Stop, or gets around. You know, there's gossip today, there was gossip back then. Gossip travels a lot faster through social media, but back then, um, it still got around. Hey, did you hear what happened to the king? I haven't seen the king in a while. You know, the State of the Union address, the king didn't say it. Somebody else said it. You know, and you can almost imagine what everybody was saying. Oh, I saw, I saw the king out in the field, man. He looks weird. He's all hairy and on all fours. Whatever the case may be, people knew that something was wrong with the king. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, hence Psalm 115. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways, you have not glorified. That's, you heard the expression, somebody owns you? Let me tell you something. God owns us. Seriously, the next breath that I take and the one after that, if I'm so fortunate, is something that God gives me. Doesn't have to do it. Doesn't have to let it continue. Verse 24, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him and this writing was written. So Daniel, he gives the history of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. And everybody, in the, as you can tell, everybody in the kingdom looked at Nebuchadnezzar as the glory days of Babylon. They all referred back to him. Not Neraglissar, not uh, Labashi Murdoch, or any of these weird-named people. But they all went back to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he gives him this lesson about Babylon, the king, and pride. What I love about Daniel was that he was always bold. He never wavered in his commission. He never wavered about giving the truth about God's word and the state of the heart, truth and love. Now, at this point, what I really want to digress for a moment, and I really want to encourage the older folks listening, whether in here or on the CD or whatever, Daniel's an elderly man, but it doesn't stop him. Daniel's not going into retirement anytime soon. In Joshua 14, I love this, Caleb is 85 years old and, ca and conquers the Anakim in the hill country. He waits his turn. 
And then he says, now I'm still as strong as I was, you know, back in the day. I'm going up that mountain. You know, who's going with me? If not, I'll go take it by myself. I love that. See, there's two extremes presented in this country, and I'm going to say that they're extremes. It's not what I believe, but it's what I see and what I hear. Number one, older folks are just waiting to pass on. And we've heard this in the healthcare debate. They don't need a new need. They don't need this. You know, all that work for somebody who maybe has a few years left, and that's an extreme. The second extreme is that older folks, and you see this in the retirement community commercials, they find the peppiest white-haired people to, to play. They're playing golf. They're playing softball. They're catching a pass. You know, like these super elderly people. And basically, the attitude is, forget about God. You earn this. You're owed this. You've worked all your life. Go have fun. And that's great because it just completely takes them away from thinking about eternal things. Just play until you die. So you have one extreme to another, and neither one of them are reflected in, in uh, Scripture. Listen, if you have physical limitations, consider being a prayer warrior. I did a, a funeral for a dear sister who sat in the fifth row, and I know that woman was a prayer warrior. Somebody's got to take her place. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your church. Pray for your government. If you can get around, hey, get in the game. We could still use you. You want something to do? Ask me. I'll, I'll give you something to do. You know, your wisdom is an awesome thing because the Bible tells us that we should be, the older we get and the more wisdom we accumulate, we should be pouring it into the youth. Are we doing that? I just don't necessarily see that in this culture. Everybody's so divided among sex, age group, color, ethnicity, and, and we're all in our separate categories, and it shouldn't be so because sharing is the best way to edify who we are, especially in the church. 25. And this is the inscription... That was written, Mina, Mina, Tekel, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mina, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. I actually said to my wife, hey, we're going to be in Daniel 5, the writing on the wall. And she goes, meeny, meeny, tekel, you farsen. <laughs> it's such a catchy phrase, but for some who don't know the, the Bible, it just sounds like eeny, meeny, miny, mo" or something like that, you know? So it's my job to explain to you what this means. I'm going to make some, a statement about gr grammatical structure and stuff in the beginning, and then I'm going to go into it. But this has several layers of meaning and um, you know, knowing English, basically we get into what's called fricatives and cognates. And basically that has to do with sound of words and derivative of words, okay? When you go through Hebrew and Aramaic, you have this, you know, similar words, similar structure, similar roots. So that's the last time I'm going to say that. But what I will tell you is the different layers as we go through it. So translation, mini, mini, tekel, euphorsen means numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. So the first one, mini, mini. Face value, it's similar to mina, which was a unit of money. So there's a numeric value of Babylon that's coming up before the Lord. Okay, he's taking notice of this. Uh, also, mina can be translated into numbered. The king and the kingdom's days have been numbered by God, and those days have come to a close. That's a scary thing. Could you imagine if this happened to us and says, uh, by the end of this day, you're done. Your kingdom's done. The name of your family is done. It's frightening, okay? 
the fa- I don't know if he was really happy that he got the translation because maybe he was better not knowing. But the fact that it was said twice gives it a stronger mere, uh, meaning. It was sobering. There was a seriousness to this process that God had calculated. There was no going back. Now, in addition to the handwriting is on the wall that we use in our vernacular, we also use the expression, your days are numbered. Where do you think that comes from? Right? The, the people who try to sanitize the Bible and Judeo-Christian values from their, our country is so sad. Then stop using God's expressions. Right? Handwriting on the wall, your days are numbered, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, all these kind of things. Literally, I could take a whole sermon, I could talk about probably at least a hundred of them. Two, tekel. When translated to Hebrew, you get shekel, which is a weight of currency, whether it's food or a precious metal. See, today we have paper currency, we have credit cards. In and of self, they have no value, but they represent a value. In the day, they used to weigh things. As a matter of fact, um, Proverbs 16:11 says, the Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards for fairness. In our culture, we don't know what that means until we study their culture. Food was weighed. Precious metals were weighed. As a matter of fact, the Department of Weights and Measures in the government routinely goes to gas stations and other places. Is a gallon of gas really a gallon? Because if you can shave off 100, 100 or 120th of a gallon of gas, nobody will ever notice. And you take all those 120ths and you start adding up and the gas station can make a fortune. And some have been imprisoned and fined heavily because the Department of Weights and Measures said your gallon of gas is not a true gallon. Now let's go back to biblical times. Interesting, isn't it? Okay. So, tekel is also translated into balance or weighed. Basically, the king and the kingdom of Babylon have been weighed by God in God's economy and there's nothing to it. There's nothing to it. There's no value to it because it's, it's not, it doesn't weigh anything. It's deficient. God has to deal with it. The last one, ufarsin, the u, or the u denoting and, and farsin being the plural of paras or perez. Uh, paras means to split up or divide. Check this out. Two ways. A divided nation, the Medes and Persians came to conquer Babylon. They couldn't do it without each other. They weren't strong enough. Divided nation comes up and conquers Babylon. Then when they conquer Babylon, they divide Babylon. Medes, Medes take a certain quarter. The uh, Persians take a certain quarter or half or whatever the percentage is. They just divided up that kingdom. Um, and so it's really a reflexive principle. In addition, paras can also mean, based on cognitive understanding, um, Persia. Okay, And Persia was really the main kingdom that actually dominate. I know I'm bringing a lot of you back into <laughs> ancient history and stuff, but it is fascinating, isn't it? Um, again, you're talking to somebody and they, they don't believe you and they don't believe God's word, start somewhere. They like history, knock them out with history. Kill them with kindness, you know? Just keep throwing all this history at them. And they can't, they can't deny it. And then tell them, go do your research. I'll see you next week. Let's see what happens. Let's talk about it. So here's a nation and a current king that God measured by his standards, found it deficient, and now he had to end it. This is nice. Let's talk about the Babylonians and Belshazzar. Okay, let's talk about us. What if God was to come to us? What if he was to weigh our lives? What if he was, you know, to evaluate our lives? What would it show? Would it show that we live for ourselves? that we live for, ple- for pleasure? What are we going to say to God? But I'm an American. You know, the Constitution affords me all these rights and freedom and, and fun and all this stuff and pleasure and 
Really? What does the Bible say? We're Christians before we're Americans. Listen, pastors in Indonesia talk about problems in Indonesian culture. Pastors in China will talk about problems in Chinese culture. We're here in America. If our lives were weighed, would it show that we bore any fruit? See, we make a huge mistake if we don't apply the scripture to our lives. Because we're not called to be spectators. Never were we called as Christians to be spectators. John 15, Jesus said that if we're truly his, and not, not just churchgoers, and I'm, I'm expressing, I'm paraphrasing it, that we will bear spiritual fruit. Are we bearing any spiritual fruit? Now, and again, weighing, I don't mean my mass times gravity, or with gravity as a factor. I mean, is there, in, in God's economy, is there any spiritual weight to our lives? Or is it hollow and empty? Warren Wiersbe said, quote, God turned the banquet hall into a courtroom for sentencing and judgment, end quote. God had enough of Babylon and it was time for a change. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Boy, Christians make a huge mistake. And it's usually, the, I hate to say it, a lot of the carnal ones, don't judge me. That's just the way of saying you don't want to be convicted. The Bible talks about judging. The Bible talks about judging matters in the church so we don't have to embarrass ourselves and go to the heathen judges. And he says, well, you guys are Christians and you're in my courtroom. Okay, I have the gift of being able to explain scripture and that's what the apostle Paul was saying. You're going to go to the heathen courts, everybody's going to be watching and they know the two of you go to the same church. You can't judge a matter within, within the church. The apostle Paul, he said, if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged by God. In other words, take a moment for introspection. Before God has to do the meeny, meeny, tekel, you farsen, what do I see in the mirror? Right? What is my life worth as a Christian? Time for introspection. Now, I'm going to say this, and again, I don't know, it doesn't give all the details, but I can almost see the king. Daniel said, I don't want it. So he gives him the robe anyway. He gives him a gold chain. I see Daniel going down the hall, taking it off and giving it to somebody. Don't know that that happened, but he didn't want it. Instead of repenting, he's still in this old ways, this old ungodly way of, of you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I said I would give this to you, so now take it. Verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now let's talk about history again. The Medo-Persians take Babylon. They kill Belshazzar. It happens in 539 B.C. The Medo-Persians, you know, again, the pride, the 300-foot walls, you know, multiple gates, locking systems, people on top of the wall watching what's going on. Well, the Medo-Persians had mustered up outside of the city, and they realized they couldn't get past the gates. They would, they would have taken too many heavy losses. Somebody had the great idea to actually take the mighty Euphrates and for a time be able to divert it divert it just enough so that it, it drops the water table and they could get through the muck in the riverbed and get under the walls. Everybody's drunk and having a good time. They come in like a Trojan horse. And the soldiers will, were ill-prepared to defend Babylon from the Medo-Persians. Thus, the chest and the shoulders of silver conquered the head of gold according to Daniel's uh, prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. Cyrus the Persian and Darius the Mede had a co-regency, and they were not able to take Babylon unless they united together. Now, who are these people today? Babylon, you can still see the ruins in modern-day Iraq. We talked about this. 
the Persians, modern-day Iran. Iran's actually a pretty big country uh, in the Middle East. Uh, media, well, they encompass what's now known as Kurdish Iraq, the northern Iraq, northwest Iran, parts of Syria and Turkey. And I would take another half an hour if I had to explain all the prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah that gave details of exactly how this happened. Fascinating and mind-blowing. Those that are against God have to say, have to find some way to say the Bible had to be written after that because they can't accept prophecy. Because man can't do prophecy. It has to come from somewhere, and it has to come from God. That's why they have to knock it down. And it's really sad when a person or a nation can't change. Amen? In closing, the handwriting on the wall found Babylon deficient and many other countries. Egypt was judged at, time, at times. Syria was judged. Babylon was judged. Um, you know, all these different nations were judged. Uh, the Edomites were judged. And we can go into all this. What would the handwriting on the wall say for the United States? I'm going to give you an example of something that, that bothers me greatly, and I'm not going to take it back if confronted with it. I don't parrot talking points of other pastors. I don't go through the same circuit of things that they say from their pulpits. But this thing came to my mind, and it's disturbing. And I'm not going to be graphic, but if you research it, pray about it first, because it's, it's gut-wrenching. When I see videos of women who could be mothers and grandmothers drinking wine at a table, eating dinner, and talking about doing abortions and taking parts off of babies before they kill them, it turns my stomach. Gleefully, the camera shows a, a, a medical uh, facility with baby parts to be harvested. How dare we as a nation ever say anything about the Nazis? Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor of death, would have loved to see this day in Germany, but it's here today in the United States, and it's not getting a lot of traction. And you know what? What's really offensive is my tax dollars are going through this. It, it's sickening to me. It's an emotional thing for, to me. How much worse can it get? What do we not know about what they're doing in collusion with our government? Now, I'm not here to condemn anyone who's had an abortion. I know many women and many of them have had. And a lot of them have been duped, they've been lied to. Um, the judgment is coming for those that are running this, this sick operation. What kind of cold cart can you have to be engaged in this type of practice? And again, I didn't give you the details, I gave you a little bit. What about the handwriting on the wall for the church in America? First Timothy tells us a time where Many would listen to doctrines of demons instead of good teaching. It's out there. Second Timothy tells us that many would want their ears tickled. They would want to hear what they want to hear in Christianity instead of good teaching. Thessalonians tells us about an apostate church as opposed to a true church. The true church will, church will be taken up uh, by the, the, in the clouds by the Lord and be received. Revelation 3 tells us about a lukewarm church of Laodicea. And many are like that, where the Lord Jesus is knocking at the door. And, and they, they, they're not hot, they're not cold. There's no passion for the Lord Jesus. Lastly and most important, what would the handwriting on the wall say about our lives, brothers and sisters? If God were to weigh our lives, what, what do we stand for? 
What do we devote our time, our energy, our thought life, and our money to? And here's the most important question. Would we hear from the Lord, meeny, meeny, tekel, you farsin, or would we hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you. Let's turn around.